Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. The Killer Women Vodcast is pleased to be a part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. To learn more about Danielle and her books, visit her at www.daniellegirard.com and to access all of our vodcasts, go to youtube.com forward slash authors on the air. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to the Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with over 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Gerard, and my guest today is Brooke Bifus. Brooke works full-time as a copywriter. A graduate of Rutgers University, Brooke is the founder of the Woodbridge Cultural Arts Commission Writing Group. She lives in New Jersey with her husband and daughter. After We Were Stolen is her debut novel. Welcome, Brooke. Thank you so much. So fun to have you here. And I always love to talk to a debut author because all of the experiences of first-time publishing are sort of fresh in your brain. And um, But before we talk about all that fun stuff, um, tell our listeners a little bit about After We Were Stolen. Sure. So After We Were Stolen uh, follows Avery, who's our main character. And she um, grew up in a cult with her nine brothers and sisters and her parents. Um, this is all unbeknownst to her because she has never left the commune that she was raised on. So she is completely cut off from the world and all of the other kids are too. And my dog is barking, I'm sorry. That's, it's um, gonna happen. Yeah, my, it's not yours, it'll be so, mine. So, um, so yeah, one night a fire breaks out um, on the grounds and she and her brother Cole are the only ones to escape. So they kind of break away. Um, and I should mention the cult environment was very toxic. It was very abusive. Um, they were definitely not happy there. Um, so they break away, but they were also very conditioned. So once they're on the outside, they've never been outside. They've never experienced anything outside of what they know. And so they're kind of left to uh, their own devices for a few months. They're homeless um, in Wichita, Kansas, and um, trying to kind of traverse this whole new landscape. Um, they get eventually picked up for shoplifting, and then they discover that nothing that they thought about themselves is true, and they're not even who they think they are. Right, and actually, I noticed on the back of the, of the cover, it talks about how Cole is immediately rescued by his birth family. So we yeah. can talk about the fact that um, these kids were, you know, basically picked up as babies yeah. or young children and brought into this cult and then treated as though they all are related. So, right. um, so one of the things I love most about that, first of all, the premise is amazing, right? We, you can imagine what it would be like to be, to like your entire, and Avery's, um, she's eight, 19, 18 or 19, 19? Yeah. 19. And Cole is a little bit younger, right? He's 16. Yeah, he's 16. And it's like to, to realize at that age that everything you thought you knew about not just yourself, but your parents, and then the sibling who you think is the only survivor with you is not at all what you thought it was. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did this come to you? Like, how, was it, you know, was it the scenario? Was it the, you know, what, what sort of inspired the story? So I was actually um, inspired. Well, I wasn't so much inspired as I was um, sent a link. Um, so right, the writing contest. Um, yes. Yeah, story. so a friend of mine sent me a link on Facebook. And at that point, I had written um, one book and it had gone nowhere. And so I was feeling very downtrodden and not really happy. So um, she sent me this link and she goes, oh, you're a writer. I'm going to, this, this contest is happening. And they're, they're asking for a, a 75 word prompt. 
uh, or a 75 word answer to a prompt. And the prompt is name something uh, or intrigue us in 75 words or less. So I said, okay, may I can handle 75 words. Again, sure. I was not in a good place about writing. I was not feeling great at, at all, but I had kind of been thinking about a cult. I had kind of been thinking about the idea of, um, I had been thinking about Heaven's Gate specifically. I'd seen a documentary on it. That was really kind of close to my heart because I, um, I don't know if you remember that when the Hellbop Comet actually flew by, yeah. um, I was in college and uh -huh. I remember we drove to Vermont to see it without any light pollution and it was gorgeous. And then a little bit after that, we heard about Heaven's Gate and that it was people died by suicide and it was, you know, all over the right. news. And that just stuck in my head. Like I, I always thought about that. And when she sent me this prompt, I started thinking about that again, because I was thinking about cults and kind of wanted to come up with a story about a cult. And so I started thinking, what if one of those people that died by suicide didn't die? Yeah. What if they woke up and everybody else was gone and they were the only survivor? So I wrote my prompt based on that. I didn't win. I was really mad. And when I didn't <laughs> win, I got really mad. And I said, you know what? Fine. I'm going to write a whole book about this and forget you. So, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I started writing it and I, I really was having a hard time with Avery. She wasn't very forthcoming. She wasn't very vocal. And all I knew is that she was telling me, she's like, what you think happened didn't, is not what happened. Like, it's not that it's, it's not, a, we didn't die by suicide. It wasn't that it's something else, something else is happening. So I really had to spend a lot of time in her head and kind of thinking about what could it be, what could be happening to her that, you know, she's so desperate to leave. And, you know, I, I just kind of, it kind of snowballed from there. Um, this is the first book I ever plotted out. I never plot. Um, I did plot this one out, but kind of loosely. Yeah. And when I wrote it, it just like, it was so fast. It was super quick. Um, That's, so now you're really like, fast. I'll plot them all. Yeah. Well, no, honestly, I don't think I could do it again because yeah. I didn't really love being kind of restricted to what I put mm -hmm. on paper. And I really did, you know, stray quite a bit, but um, it did help kind of because the timeline in this was tighter than any other timelines I'd worked with. So I really kind of knew I didn't have a ton of time or space to explore things. And I had to really be concise about it. Um, not my strong suit. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And, you know, um, it, it just it got, so she got so strong in my head. And then, you know, the more I kind of spent time with her, the more I learned about her story, the more like horrified I was about it and just, you know, really, um, outraged on her behalf, which I think helped in the writing yeah. because I was able to kind of tap into my own feelings and emotions. Cause this was a character I cared about and these terrible yeah. things were happening and, you know, just kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, she's quite strong. I mean, she's not, you know, I mean, she's sort of for, like, you know, the way the, the, it starts out, she's sort of forced to, you know, she's, she's not the, she's not the most of their, she's not the most sort of like, do whatever they say child right. that they have. So she ends up sort of being punished and having to do a lot more sort of independently, which in the, you know, later on serves her actually, which is, so, you mm -hmm. know, sort of lovely. Right. right. Um, one of the things that was so, you know, um, dark about the book is the way in which the dad ensures nobody leaves. And yeah. I don't want to ruin it. Cause I think that's, mm -hmm. I mean, I could, because it doesn't say anything, but I don't want to, <laughs> I want people to read this because when I read that, I thought, Oh, that is really manipulative yeah kind of brilliant and super awful you know yeah just he is just evil incarnate and um it just i i read and i watched a lot of documentaries about cult leaders yeah and how they operate how they keep people in line how they um really have 
complete control over people without people even knowing it. Yeah. You know, you could be under the the thumb of a really charismatic person and have no idea. Right. Um, and these are not unintelligent people. These are people that are maybe looking for something else in their lives or, right. you know, maybe they're in right. a trap situation like in the book, but, you know, they're not people that are, you know, um, unintelligent or not, you know, have their thoughts of their own, but no. they just, these people are so charismatic and they're so manipulative that it's, it's very easy for them to just kind of know which buttons to push and how to keep you under their thumb. And the dad was trained by his dad. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's, mm -hmm. so he's not even sort of the original cult leader. It's, mm -hmm. this is something he inherited. And of course, if you grew up like that, then it makes perfect sense. He was conditioned. Yeah. So then he conditions his children. Um, I thought that was really interesting. So, okay. So you sound, sounds like you, you wrote a book and, and buried it. And I love that you're John Trotten. I have three books buried before I published my mm -hmm. first. And I think that's sort of part of it, but yeah. you know, you can't, we can't let these little, little hiccups get to us. So, um, you finished this book. Um, mm -hmm. and then what was your process? Like, you know, where did you found an agent how long did that take you know tell us a little bit because I think people really want to hear what it's like especially since your your story is pretty recent you know mm -hmm. yeah um so I already had an agent um Good. because I got an agent from the first book great um, that ended up dying on submission but I'll give you a little spoiler um it came back to life because it's being published next year so fun isn't that crazy so, <laughs> the book it was trunked eight years ago yes and it's coming out next year I, I it just that blows my mind and I'm so incredibly thrilled about that because right. you know your first book is your baby yeah and yeah so I just feel I feel very strongly about it and and I'm so excited it's going to actually be uh Fantastic. available to other people so did source but, books, um, so yeah source books buy it bought it uh, yes mm -hmm. so yeah okay so they basically you know you did it as you did uh, you sort of submitted as your second book which is great mine yes. are not mine are not published in order either my, mm, yeah. my second book out was written before my first book out, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, so this um, is, yeah, sorry. Yeah. This is the fifth book I tried my hand at okay. um, because, well, you know, like you said, there's a lot of um, things that have to happen before you're ready. When I started writing, I started writing when my daughter was about four years old mm -hmm. and it was just because I kind of felt like I wanted to have something for myself when she was born I felt sort of a, like a resurgence of youth I don't know I feel like I was older before I had her and <laughs> I love after that I, I feel her, definitely I just felt like yeah I feel older since my children were born so I like to hear that somebody like, feels oh younger my, oh my gosh you know I I I there's so many things I want to do for myself and I want to be a great role model for her and show her you know that you can really like go after things that you really want to do and so I decided it was a new year's resolution like, I'm gonna write a book um and Good I was very um I had a lot, a very bad phobia of writing it. Um, I kept a blog. So I kept a blog for years and years and I um, wrote very, very personal things in it about myself. I wrote in gruesome detail, my childbirth story. Like I had no problem sharing anything, but when it came to, you know, writing about writing fiction, I was like, no, I can't do that's too personal. I can't do that. That's so it's, I read yeah. about that. I read that in your acknowledgements. Um, yeah. And I'm interested to understand sort of what, can you explain just, what you mean? It was, it was like letting people completely into my head. Uh -huh. I felt like the blog was letting people into my life, but writing fiction was letting mm. people into my head. I like that. I, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. It was really intimidating. And I talked to other people who I knew who also wrote and some people right. had, had been published and they called it fear of flying. They said, that's mm. what you, they said, that's what you have. It's fear of flying. And they said, but just jump over the jump over it. And, and once you get started, you'll, you'll really pick up. So made a new year's resolution. I said, okay, I'm going to write a book. I had no idea what I was doing. 
And so new January 1st, I sat down and I, I got my computer and I'm typing. And then I remember coming downstairs and my husband was down and he goes, what are you doing down here already? I said, this is really hard. I said, I didn't think this was going to be so hard because the story was so vibrant and fresh in my head. I said, this right. is not, you know, going to be a piece of cake. No, I was, it was very difficult. And, um, but I kept going and I kept going and I wrote the entire book in nine months. I mean, it vomited out of me. I was just like, it was all <laughs> over the page, but, um, and when I was finished, hold on to yourself. It was 265,000 words. Oh my goodness. Wow. Mm -hmm. Which at the time I thought was great. I was like, look at this. This is a great big long book. People love long books. I love a long book that you're really get lost in. No, it was terrible. It was terrible. That so, is so, um, that is long. That's pretty long. So just to tell <laughs> readers who don't know, a book is usually like what, not 85 to 105. This one's 80,000. Yeah. My next one's I think 105. Yeah. It's just right. uh, unheard of. So um, yeah, I had like three books in my hand. So I said, all right. Um, so what happened then was I, I actually tried to query it. Like I'm not, even, I, I knew nothing. I did not know any, I didn't, and I did no research. I was very like, kind of like in this really giddy fog. I'm like, I wrote a book. This is so cool. I'm going to send it out. And it did not go well. So then I got a little discouraged and my um, sister, I think it was my sister found out about a contest that was being held at a tiny bookstore in the next town. And she said, they're having something called Pitchapalooza and they have agents on this panel where they're going to have, give everybody a minute to pitch their books. And then the winner is going to get um, a recommendation from them to an agent. Great. So I said, okay, like, I'll think about that. I went and you had to kind of go into a lottery to even be picked to, to read. And there was about 40 people that got chosen. I was the next to last. Okay. And so I was like, all right, I went up there. I just, I did my, my thing. I sat down and I won. Oh, congratulations. So That's so exciting. I was like, oh my God. And that was the first confirmation that I had that I might have something marketable, even though it was a total disaster. So they gave me a lot of guidance and helped me like, they're like, no, 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 this is not good. Not, not the way to go. You got to cut it down. They said, yeah. you know, bring it down to at the very highest level, 120. And then it should be even less than that. So, um, I spent three years editing it <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it was just, I, I mean, I just edited it and edited, and then, um, I ended up the recommendation that they gave me did not work out. Um, so I kept editing it and I kept sending it out and I actually got an agent after about nine months of congratulations. It's yeah. not bad. Mm -mm. So, um, I got my agent and she adored the book, but it died on submission. So yeah. I was gutted. I was gutted, oh, I know. but I did. I jumped back in. I said, all right, I'm going to write the next book. The next one will never see the light of day. Um, the one after that is going to, get a revival I think um and then I started a work in progress and then I got kind of waylaid by the idea for after we were stolen that one kind of knocks me out of the project I was working on and mm. I just threw myself into it um and it went out on submission actually two, two rounds and the first round it didn't take and I was again I was like this is just I said this is just so gut-wrenching and painful and it's like sending your baby out to a whole bunch of people and they say no your baby's ugly but totally. um yeah. So it was just really upsetting. And, and I was, I remember I was talking to my therapist who plays a big part in my life. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. I was talking to her and she asked me, um, she said, you know, how's the book going? How are things going with the book? And I said, and it was right after I went out on second submission. And I said, you know what? Don't even ask me about the book anymore. I said, nothing's going to happen. I was just, I was so upset. I said, nothing's going to happen. This is just, this not going to, this not what I was meant to do. And the next day I got the call that they bought it. They wanted to buy it. 
So I had to call her back and I was like, oh God, yeah. That's I have so to admit exciting. that she was right. <laughs> How fun is that phone call when you hear from your agent and then she's it was like, amazing. I was like, yeah, I was like weeping in my kitchen. And then when I found out, so I had the initial uh, call from my agent to say that they were interested. And then I had a call with my editor and then we um, heard from her then a couple days later that they were doing, they were offering for it. And um, I was in Michael's, it was like two days, three days before Christmas. And I was in oh Michael's my with gosh. my mother and I was in line. There was a thousand people and I was hysterical crying in Michael's. And I, all these people were probably like, what the heck just happened? And you know, my mom was crying. We were all like, just a mess. It was, it was, it was a moment. <laughs> I'll bet. Well, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's cry worthy. I think you have to cry. You just yeah. scream and cry and, you know, dance around. Jump up and down and get it all out. Totally, totally. That's exciting. Well, there's, um, I, I, I always, I, I always make little tabs on like oh. things that I, I really love. And there's this one thing and it doesn't really relate to anything in the plot, but I, it just struck a chord with me and it's, um, she's on the, Avery's on the street um, and she's walking around and she's, you know, she's really still um, suffering from sort of the, the trauma and, 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 and sort of finding her place in the world or whatever. And there's this mm-hmm. man, um, yes. you probably know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and um, the man says, how about a smile? Yeah. And said, His voice pushing through the hot air like molasses. And then she, so now she's also thinking like how she's going to protect herself because she's worried about who is still um, mm-hmm. alive, right? She, we don't right, know right. who's still alive. And she mm-hmm. says, one, one blow to the face would do it. If my aim was good, I could take out an eye. A quick uppercut might earn him a lobotomy or at least a torn nostril. Even a wild thrash, if it was hard enough, could send the metal key punching through his cheek. Pretty girl, don't be selfish. And I just thought, you know, that is so, every woman has had that moment. Or some, mm-hmm. you're walking somewhere and some guy's like, what's wrong? You should smile. And you just mm-hmm. think. And so to have Avery, who has never lived in a, you know, she never lived in a world where somebody would have said that to her. And so her mm-hmm. reaction to it, you know, is inherently f- feminine, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, how am I going to get out of this? But right. also I just loved it because it felt so masculine. And then of course, it's so much harder for her because she imagines, you know, who might, who that man might be and all right, this right, stuff. Right. But but I really enjoyed that moment, and I, I oh, I, thank you, so tab worthy. I mean, you know, I knew I love that that was going to be relatable to all my female readers. Anyway, I said there's it's, not a woman walking the earth that has not had that experience, yes. and um, you know, I remember getting a really creepy guy come after me when I was 12, and I was in a drugstore, and he was um, much much older than me, and and just making very inappropriate remarks. And I remember I ran out of there because I was a literal child, right. and I didn't know what to do. And you know, I, I was at I remember running out of the it was a, a right aid like a couple blocks from my house, and I remember running through the park and just being really like genuinely terrified. Even though right. he was only talking and he didn't touch me, but he just was talking to me, and I just the way, but it stuck with me. It really yeah. did, and. Yeah, that probably had a little bit of influence on that scene. It doesn't take much to feel really creeped out, I think, because we know inherently the sort of the the menace that men can be Mm -hmm. because they're stronger and bigger. And we, you know, there's a lot of ways in which we really can't sort of fight back. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, and you're raising a daughter. So, right. You know, so this Mm -hmm. is the thing about, you know, Avery that I, um, that I really appreciate is that, you know, let loose on the world. She has just so nice friends and she ends up living, you know, in a home and she has this kind of wonderful friend she meets who I, Oh, her BFF. Yes. He was an accident. He was not supposed to be in this book. He showed up and demanded it. I'm so glad he did, you know, because I feel (laughs) like he adds so much depth 
mm-hmm. you know, any and a, and a little ray of, I mean, he's got his own trauma, so there's not to say yeah. his life is perfect by any stretch, but, um, you know, the idea that she has somebody that, um, that she can relate to because like, you know, yeah. The and other he, thing he I think, lot- oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I, he just brought a lot of, a lot of levity to, and much needed levity to the whole situation, I think. So right. I'm glad. Yes, he- I know you. He, and it's nice. The levity is important. Um, and he's also one of those sort of like, if you don't, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Right. I mean, right, it's like right. that's sort of exactly. the idea behind yep. it. Um, and one of the things that the other thing I thought, thought was so interesting and it makes, you know, is the idea that as soon as these police officers had taken their, their fingerprints and, and just determined that they were, you know, that they were these ch- children who had been um, kidnapped when they were young, everyone's like, oh my God, aren't you so happy that you've escaped? You know, you, you've got your freedom and here are these kids who, you know, it's, I mean, it's so opposite of what they're feeling, right? They don't, right. they didn't never realize that they needed their freedom. I mean, yeah. not again, that their situation was easy, but um, I love the psychology of that. So, you know, can you talk about how you sort of like wrestled with that and, and where that came from? And it's so interesting. Yeah, so freedom means nothing to them. Um, a little bit more to Avery because she kind of had the advantage of being able to read. Um, which was something her parents never knew. Um, she was taught um, by one of the women who were initially in the cults um, when there was still adults. So I should mention the 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 father um, is a bit more, a lot more sadistic. I I think he was a lot more sadistic than the grandfather um, okay. because he didn't want any people in this situation unless he brought them in. So he, you know, ultimately killed everyone that was over a certain age and wanted just to have children brought in and, you know, he could control children much easier. So um, for one of them to kind of break through everything and get Avery to read and, and give her this kind of a, a, like a magnifying glass into like, you know, what, what life is outside um, is her only real motivation, I think, for wanting to leave in the first place. Um, right. I think if she didn't have that, she would have, she and Cole would have just been discovered in the wreckage you know they wouldn't have gone anywhere I don't think that she would have had any um you know motivation to to do anything because she's you know what's out there they have no idea they don't know there's other people out there they don't know there's other stuff out there like what's out there so she's just giving her that and I like to think it was a little bit of a commentary on reading in general because Mm -hmm. when I was growing up my mother said to me you know read a lot nothing's going to make you smarter than reading reading is you know you're going to you learn so much reading and I read from a very young age and I just was never without a book Mm -hmm. um and I kind of told the same thing to my daughter I was like you know make sure you're you're a reader and and and, you know find things that you like to read it could be anything like I don't care what you read as long as you're reading right so um I think that that is a is a powerful thing to have words and to have um you know insight into other people's lives and the way other people perceive things and other things that are out there um and I wanted to give that to Avery because I gave her nothing she is one of the least equipped characters um I've ever worked with and I feel bad about that um, <laughs> even, even physically I mean the poor girl she's she's four foot ten and, and 80 pounds and I wanted that to be also a product of her environment, um, right. you know, just the fact that, and she and Cole are both small in stature. And I thought that that would be realistic because they have grown up tremendously stressed and probably malnourished. So, you know, I'm like right. thinking about her physically and I'm like, oh God, she's going to be so small. And she's, you know, got so much to go up against and, and so little, you know, to herself, but I think she really tapped into all her reserves. But yeah, I think that, that that's kind of what it was. It was a little bit of a commentary on, you know, 
being aware of things outside and broadening your horizons and being right. open-minded and things right. like that. Right. Yeah. And she had an opportunity to, you know, to experience, you know, sort of the empathy that characters have for one another, which is why I think, you know, she and Cole, were, she's so, she's so worried about, you know, Cole and, and when they're being separated because Cole's being taken back to his birth parents, you know, she's, mm -hmm. she's, you know, I'm obviously distraught, but also, right. you know, um, I mean, knows that he's, he has no choice. And, and so that's a super powerful scene too. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, what, you know, what happens, um, and I, we can't talk about that because you have to yeah. read the book, but, um, but I noticed um, in, also in your acknowledgements, and I, I hope it's not um, inappropriate to ask about that you lost your brother I um, in the middle of this. And I think, mm -hmm. for, you know, in this day and age, so many people, you know, we've, we've all, we've lost people. And I, I wanted to sort of ask you to, to sort of comment on how that affected um, the relation, you know, the writing of the book, the relationship between Avery and Cole, um, and just, you know, your, your ability as an author to talk about sort of these, you know, the reality of, of, of that kind of loss. Yeah, that almost put a stop to the book entirely, because I was mid-writing it when he passed away. I was in the middle of it, and I was writing this sibling story. I have a brother, I had a brother, and, and I have a sister. Um, I'm in the middle, so my brother was older, my sister's younger. Um, so I was pulling a lot from my own, like, experiences of having a sibling, and how I would feel, how I would personally feel if something like this were to happen to me, and right. it was, you know, very, um, kind of easy thing to do, because you grow up with other kids, you know, other siblings, and, and, you know, you, you, even if you don't get along or you have a difficult relationship, like you're attached and, and right. that's, you know, um, so yeah, so it was, um, I was about midway through and he passed away very suddenly, um, very unexpected. So we, um, I, I talked to, I don't know if I even brought it up. I stopped writing for a long time. I yeah, just put it up. I put it down. I said, I right. can't, I can't do this right now. I said, I can't think about this. I don't want to think about it. Uh, I'm just, right. this is too close to home. And, um, so then I thought about my brother because he was also a writer oh. and he was far more brilliant than I will ever be. Um, and as sure far that, as pen yeah. to paper and, you know, he, um, you know, wrote wonderful things and his writing was very, very, he, he wrote personal stories about himself. He wrote essays, he wrote autobiographical things. Yeah. Um, so I thought about him and I said, you know what, he would be so pissed off at me if I stopped writing this book, like he would really like, no, that no. So, um, I said, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up. And he was a big advocate for me. He really was very passionate about reading what I wrote. And, and, you know, he was always emailing me. He's like, oh, I have an idea for a story. We're going to do it together. And oh. it's about this, this, and this. And so, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was just like, kind of, uh, I wanted to make him proud of me. Um, yeah, so, I'm sure he would be. Yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, my, my brother and my father were uh, both writers and so my brother passed away three years ago and my dad passed away last year oh, he I'm died so during the publishing process and so he never read it because um. I was like gonna I was it's like I'm gonna present him with like I did for my mother I presented them with an arc so right. they would have a book in their hands and you know something mm -hmm. you know tangible and it's not just you know an email attachment or something right. but um yeah so he did not get a chance to read it either so yeah. um bittersweet because I know that they would be ecstatically happy and and just you know absolutely about everything but um yeah so it was kind of kind of a, a way to um feel connected to him still and I think that's true I mean I mean to have writers in who are in your family even if they're not with us anymore that the lessons and the experiences and I lost I lost my dad recently too and oh, I'm um, sorry 
I'm like, it is. It's kind of a shitty club to belong to, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the whole losing anybody thing. But um, but I do think I think that's really I think there's I kind of believe the that sometimes I can, you know, I can hear them a little bit. So I Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not off my meds, so I think that must be just like. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the other thing I love that you said, because um, to talk about how it seems like for you, characters, these characters are really like you talk about your characters talking to you, and you know, yes. a character just showed up on the page, and a character just you know wound his or her way into in, into your brain. And you, I love that you, in another line from your um, acknowledgments is when I write, I feel like God. Unfortunately, <laughs> all my characters are atheists. Characters are atheists. <laughs> I wish I know where I read that because so I read it somewhere, and I'd love to give credit to whoever thought of that because it's brilliant. But it's exactly totally. how I feel totally. because I have, I mean they come to me and run rampant and just, I have no control. And it's just, you know, um, and, and I've had some, I've had some creepy things happen as far as characters go and like, just kind of feeling like they're closer than I think they are. Oh, wow. One that comes yeah. to mind. Tell it, <laughs> tell us a story. This is a crazy story. So um, I had, this is the first book I was writing. Um, my male protagonist, who is an 11 year old child, um, he was, um, being very difficult. I was having a hard time with his voice. I was having a hard time getting him to sound the way I wanted to have him on paper. And it just was, he was not cooperating with me. And, and usually like, I'll get a lot of dialogue sent to me. Like I'll get a lot, I'll come up with a lot of lines. Like, and he just wasn't talking to me. And he had recently in the book broken his arm. And I remember thinking to myself, you better behave or I'll break your other arm. <laughs> and the next day I broke my wrist the next day. Oh. It was weird. It was weird. That's what you get for threatening. That. I, never, I never made another threat against them again. That's so funny. I love that. Um, I mean, I, and it's it is there is something interesting about that. I feel like when when the characters are in the right place and we're and we're doing right by them, then they can just pull us along in like a mm -hmm. you know in a really steady jog. But boy, if you try to push one into the wrong room, you no. know. You got to give them the freedom. Like, like they know the story. Just, just trust them. They know the story. Yes. They know what they're doing. It might take a while for it to come to you, but right. it's there. So how, like, what, so how do you do that? So do you think, do you find like you, you have to walk away from the computer when, you know, when things aren't working? Are you somebody who like, like I like to lay down. I oftentimes mm -hmm. take a nap with a pen and paper and sometimes I'll, you know, wake up and be like, oh, there it is. You know, yeah. so what was the process for you? So for me, I like to walk around the neighborhood, preferably in the evening when it's just, just starting to get dark. Um, that's a very inspiring time for me. I feel like there's a lot, uh, I, I'm not a nature person. I don't get out a lot. I'm not, I, I'm uh, very afraid of the sun. So I don't, you know, <laughs> tend to be an outdoorsy person, but I do like to go out at night and walk and yeah. I get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of chattering when that happens. But I also am big on lying down and just kind of decompressing and falling yeah. asleep maybe. And, you know, um, and the other thing that's good for me is driving on driving around with the radio on um, and just listen, just kind of losing myself in, in songs. And um, one of my characters in the other, the next book that's coming out would only talk to me when I was driving. And so I was like, this is really inconvenient because it's, I can't like write things down when, so I would be, I would like pull over and be like, I have a little notebook. I'm like, okay, okay. But right. um yeah, that that's, you know, anything to kind of release me from my own head. 
Right. I think that's right. Like if I actually find folding laundry, which is, um, mm. and my husband's always like, you know, he's like, I'll fold the laundry. No, no, no. The laundry folding is important to me. It's important <laughs> to my process. So don't touch yeah. the laundry. Now you can do the dishes because that doesn't, that is not helpful for me, but the, the no laundry for whatever reason that, you know, the motion of, um, is oftentimes when I get some, some sort of moments of clarity. It's so funny. Yeah. I have just so you, you know, keep in mind, I have, you can dictate into your phone, like to an email. And oftentimes if I'm, oh, yeah. if I'm a, like stopped at a stoplight and something comes to me, I'll just send myself an email. And even if the words are way off, which, you know, sometimes dictation does not understand me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know what I was saying. So it helps me to I, sort of like, you know, not I forget do that it. now. And back in the, when I was writing the book, the back in the day, we didn't even have smartphones. It was a very oh. sad time. <laughs> it's very sad. It was 2010 or 11. Isn't and it was like, so smartphones were not really a big thing yet. They were, you know, I didn't have one yet, but um, yeah, that would have been tremendously helpful to me because I was just, right. you know, right. Yes. Literally paper and pen on, yeah. the, on the driver, on the passenger seat. And right. Well, I've done that too, good. where you're like writing off to the side. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Whatever works that you don't lose the idea. Right. Cause the worst yes. is if you lose the idea. Cause then you're like, I'm really good at emailing myself when I'm just, just about to fall asleep because yes. I get a lot of ideas just before I'm about to fall yep. asleep. And then I have to wake up and be like, I'll send myself emails that are in, if, if anybody ever opened them and like what they would think, what is going on? Because they're you're crazy. Right, right, right. Yes, exactly. But if you, but I've also been like, oh, it's no problem. I'll remember. This is the best idea ever. And then I wake and up and I, nothing. No I can't idea. remember a single thing. And I've also had moments where I'm like, this is the best idea ever. And I send it to myself. I'm like, what was I thinking? That is crazy. Oh, that talk happens right to me more often than not. Yeah. I'll be like, this is fantastic. And then I wake up and I look at it. I'm like, this is a terrible idea. Right. Like, no. This is the worst no. idea ever. <laughs> well, this is so exciting. Okay. So tell us, Brooke, what is next? You already have, sounds like you already have a, the book. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I would love to. So the next book is uh, Before You Found Me. And um, sounds like it's connected to the first book. It is not. It is independent, stand freestanding. So the next story is about, um, I have two protagonists that have Rowan and Gabriel, and Rowan is um, 22 years old, and she grew up in foster care, and she's just coming, she went from foster care into a very abusive, toxic, toxic relationship with the man who she ultimately becomes engaged to. Um, they have an altercation um, pretty much, before the book even starts, they have an altercation that leaves her disfigured. Um. So she is... Um, coming to terms with this. Again, she's very young. She's only 22. Um, and she doesn't really have any family. She has a sister, but they're estranged. And so she goes to kind of decompress. She stays with a friend. Her friend is away at college. So she's like, I'm going to stay at your house and just kind of, you know, decompress. And while she's there, she meets her next door neighbor, who's like a big friendly guy and always kind of in her business. And she also meets his son. And her, his son is kind of an enigma. He only will talk to her through his window in the basement. So she's, if she's outside, he'll, you know, strike up a conversation, but she, he never comes outside and she never sees him really. She just kind of hears this disembodied voice and she comes to find out that he's being abused by his father and that he is in the basement all the time because he's kept there. So he doesn't go to school. He's not, nobody in the neighborhood even knows he's there. So, um, she takes him. She just decides when she leaves, she decides she's going to go back to her childhood home. She's going to make amends with her sister. So she has at least some help. And she just takes him and she raises him as her own. And wow. it's a weird dynamic because they're only 10 years apart. Right. Um, but she really like ultimately, you know, becomes his mother and, you know, it's, it's a story, but, but it, there's a lot of um, 
tension because he, the father does find out what she did and right. he's not happy about it. So there's at the back of the story, you know, he's got eyes on them and they're not really safe. They're, they're, you know, a thousand miles away, but they're still, you know, in his sights. So um, there's his demons and her demons and everything right. kind of comes to a head. So um, the part I told you is literally within the first 50 pages. It's not, you know, there's a lot to the story, but um, that's the, that's the gist of it. That's, you know, you know you, and I actually get, you do those relationships. I mean, just from hearing that story and then from reading, you know, um, after we were stolen, um, the relationships between these characters, um, not just, I mean, Avery and Cole, of course, who were, who were thought they were siblings and weren't siblings. And then Avery mm -hmm. and several members of the place where she goes to live. Yeah. You do a beautiful job of these very complicated relationships with very like trauma on every side right mm -hmm. and I think um that must really interest you because you really delve into sort of how different people deal with their trauma mm -hmm. work through their trauma don't work through their trauma right right, I mean, right all of those shades in this book um and I think that sounds so the new book sounds and I like that I I understand I think um publishers like to do that thing where it's sort of like they're not this they're not connected they have no relation but you have now you have sort of a a brand a look you're in the brand. after before you know whatever comes next you're gonna right. you're, you're you'll have a yeah you have a sort of a look um so tell us again the name of it um it's called so the next book is before you found me before you found me okay i love and, that um even the the cover art even i i can't release it yet because it's still in yeah. in being tweaked but the I mean the cover art for the next one is I is stunning like it's gorgeous they did such a beautiful job but it echoes a little bit the cover of the first one yeah. there's a, a definitely you can tell it's the same uh you know same vibe yeah and that's and that's wonderful and I'm I met some um I actually crashed a source books party oh, I hope they don't fun. this at um at Thriller Fest in, in New York, I went along with a, a girlfriend. Um, and what a lovely group of people. I think they seem like oh, an amazing, fantastic. good. I'm so they've glad. Been, yeah, they've been so wonderful to work with. And I've had, I mean, I can't say enough nice things. And yeah. every step of the process has been very inclusive. And, you know, from my input and it has, you know, a lot of people, I, I went on a, a, a writing group that had, was talking and doing a discussion about, um, traditional publishing and mm -hmm. a lot of the people were very or commercial publishing I should say a lot of the people in there were very jaded and very down on it and they had a lot of things they were saying a lot of things that I didn't find to be true and right. so they said well once you get you know once you you sell your book you're um you know you're under their thumb and there's no um you know you don't get you don't get a say on edits and I'm like no I you do and you know yeah. you don't get a say on this or that and I'm like no you you do you know it's it's yeah. not you know they they it, it, I actually did a little talk to kind of um, talk about my own process and I didn't want anybody that was up, you know, up and coming or, or going through it themselves to be discouraged because if I had heard all the things that they were saying before, right. I right. would have been screaming and running away because it was just, you know, <laughs> but yes. sort of has been incredible. I mean, Good. just really great. That's great. Well, I, um, I, I enjoyed meeting them and I've enjoyed many of their, you know, new releases. So it's really mm -hmm. fun to, to find a new, and now of course I know they're marketing people because I'm like what's coming next you have to you know send them to me um mm -hmm. but anyway that was um this is fabulous okay so Brooke tell um um 
you've got Before You Found Me coming next year. Tell, um, do you know the date of that by any chance? I think it's going to be August. Okay, so far August. right now it's, it's August. Yeah. Fantastic. So tell um, listeners where to find you online. Let's spell your last name since it doesn't, yes. it is not pronounced exactly how it's, how it looks and uh, social media, website, all that good stuff. So pretty much everywhere I'm Brooke Bifus. So I have, my website is brookebifus.com and I'll spell the whole thing because my first name is Pezzany. So it's B-R-O-O-K-E. B-E-Y-F-U-S-S. Yes. And, and so I have a website, brookefifus.com. And I also have um, on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, it's just Brooke Bifus. Um, You can follow me on TikTok, but I will not post anything. I just stalk other people. <laughs> I know. Tick, TikTok is, is a challenge. I'm, I'm, it is. You know, I'm, I'm older than you are, but I, I find it to be almost impossible. But it's fun. It is fun to watch the book talkers. And oh, yeah. um, Brooke Bifus, it's lucky you could do that. It sounds like you're the only Brooke Bifus on the planet. I am the only one. I I, I checked it out. I'm the only one. I There's love it. There's a handful of Bifuses in general. What kind of, what, what, what's the origin of the name? It's German. It's German. Doesn't mm-hmm. sound German, does it? Not to yeah. me. Um, but yeah. what do I know? I, I actually don't really have that much experience. <laughs> um, well, that is super exciting. Well, that you, um, to our listeners, um, After We Were Stolen is a really it's a super interesting character study and, and got it with a great, um, easy, fast paced story. So I think you do a really good job of balancing in-depth character with, with, um, pacing a story, which I think is a hard thing to do. So yeah, congratulations. It was, thank you so much. I was, I'm, I'm just thrilled that it's, uh, available. Everybody gets to share it now because, um, it's, it's no fun having them in a trunk. <laughs> I, no fun having them in a trunk. That is not where they belong. Well, mm-hmm. um, every so take a look, listen to, or um, reach out and find after we were stolen. And we will look forward to um, before um, I found you, before you found me. Before you found me. Yeah. God, sometimes, sometimes titles are just, my brain does not work. I, well. called it a, I called it the name of an entirely other book the other day. <laughs> okay. Because I was thinking of before we were yours. And I just. Oh, right. I remember that book totally too. Totally grabbed that. And I'm like, oh, wait, that's not right. That, I didn't write that one. No, no. That's, that's yeah, exactly. One. That's a book, yeah. but not my book. Okay. It's a book, not my book. That's right. <laughs> actually, before you found me. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today, Brooke. This has been Killer Women. I'm Danielle Gerard. And today's guest, Brooke Bifus, the debut author of After We Were Stolen. Pick it up. It's a super fun read. And we look forward to more from Brooke. Thank you. Until next time, everybody. Bye-bye.